You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. It's good to be with you as we continue our series uh, on revival of, of how this uh, Methodist movement uh, began. Our scripture lesson today is from Romans, the fourth chapter, verses three through five, and also Romans five, verses one through two. It'll be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This revival of the, of the Methodist movement, this Wesleyan movement, began when, when John Wesley had this calling and this desire to be closer to God. But it wasn't long in this movement before there was a crisis in John Wesley's own heart. When my father was in college, his father became very, very sick. He was diagnosed with pancreatitis and greatly and very slowly suffered until he died. Now, my father, watching his father die in a terrible way, made him very angry with God. And who would blame him? My dad grew up in the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod Lutheran, don't you forget it, as he would say. He would sit in the front row as a child and sing the hymns to the top of his voice. He was there almost every Sunday. His, in other words, his anger with God was not because he wasn't a believer. His anger with God was because he was. So one day, he sat and had a conversation with God. And he said, I need you to tell me now if the Bible, if Jesus, if salvation, if all of it is true. I need to know now if it is true because I'm not asking again. And even though he was Lutheran, in the great Wesleyan tradition, he said his heart was strangely warmed. His heart was strangely warmed. Last week we talked about this great fire and this great devotion, this resolution and revolution of sorts that started in John Wesley. Started with this great idea of God's that the world is worth saving. And like resolutions, it all begins with an idea. And then with affirmation of that idea. But soon thereafter, you must have a plan. You must have a mission. 
you must have a calling with clear markers to go out into the world. And John Wesley did. He and his holy club met at Oxford, and they met for prayer and fasting and worship and devotion and wash, rinse, and repeat. It is how they got the name Methodist. <laughs> there was a great method to the way in which that they were sharing their devotion to God. Sticking with a routine is helpful, to say the least. When I was a student uh, in divinity school, my daily rhythm shifted dramatically. <laughs> of course, we had worship on Sundays, but we also had worship on Tuesdays, and also Wednesdays, and also Friday afternoon. We had Tuesday evening prayers of healing and communion. We also had Thursday night choral vespers. It was intense. And it was also beautiful. It was beautiful in the sense that you could, I don't know really how to explain it. The best I can get is you can feel the heartbeat of God. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, this outflowing of worship. Sunday morning wasn't just a thing you did. It became the template of your week. Some folks say that uh, uh, worship is, is the game and uh, uh, the, the rest of the week is practice for the game. We have that backwards. The rest of the week is the game. Sunday morning is practice. This is where we learn what it's like to worship, to share our faith, to eat with one another. And hopefully, worship then bleeds forth in our Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I've always said, you know you're close with God if on Tuesday afternoon at 2.30 you feel God's presence. That heartbeat of God constantly there. It is important to make these connections in our life, whether they be worship or small groups or mission, this connection outside of the Sunday morning experience. That's one of the reasons why in 2020 we're hoping to do that, of every member connected with one another, so that we might together feel that heartbeat, so that we might together fulfill one of the marks of what it means to be a Christian, as Paul says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Not for those, don't rejoice for those who rejoice or weep for those, which is what Facebook is built on, weeping for others, but to weep with. And that with cannot happen unless we are connected with one another. So John Wesley, this mission that started in Oxford with a, a bunch of guys, with a bunch of guys uh, uh, in their holy club, it started to grow and it started to move. And John Wesley then started to head to Georgia. He was headed to the Americas to start this Georgian mission. And on the way, on the way, uh, there was a great storm. And they weren't sure if they were going to make it. And he was fearful, as I might imagine many of us would be. And yet, while the storms were raging, there were a group of Moravians who were singing the songs of their faith. And Wesley was shocked by their assurance. How are they not afraid? It's like Jesus sleeping in the boat while the disciples see the, the waves and the storms raging. How can you be asleep now? He was shocked by their assurance, and he finally realized that, that through the prayer and the fasting and the meditation and the worship and the service, and something was missing in that routine. 
something wasn't making a connection. I want to talk about storms for just a moment. God does not create, and John Wesley didn't think that God created the storm in order to test him. Thankfully, God does not create these storms to see if we make it through them. I'm not sure what that lesson might be. But yet there are storms, and God is with us. You know, we talk about the, the, the flood narrative, the um, uh, Genesis 6 uh, through 9, this great storm, right? This great flood that covered, that covered the earth. And sometimes in a very plain reading of this story, we think that God is angry and wants a do-over with, with humanity, which is theologically tricky. But there's this one verse, and this is what I want to lift up today. There's this one verse in that story. It's Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, where it says, they, and I'm paraphrasing, they, they, they entered the ark, and then the Lord shut them in, which is a beautiful and biblical way of saying God remained outside of the ark in the storm. In other words, through those 40 days and 40 nights, with whom was God spending God's time? But with those who were in the storm. God did not put himself in the sanctuary of the ark. God closed the ark and weathered the storm with the rest of humanity. It's a beautiful and biblical way of saying that God suffers with us. It's a beautiful and biblical foreshadowing of what happens on the cross. I mean, you know the end of the story, right? You know, there's the rainbow in the cloud. When I see the bow in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between God and humanity, all of creation, that this will never happen again. You do realize, and, and, and this, this rainbow, right, it is meant to be understood as a bow, an archer's bow. It is a weapon. And where is the arrow pointing? But up toward the heavens. Remember last week we talked about how sin is an archer's term. It means missing the mark, not hitting the target. The rate, when I see the bow in the clouds, I will remember because the arrow is pointed toward the heavens. It's a beautiful and biblical way of saying, if I ever choose to deal with sin on a cosmic level, I will be the one who takes the arrow. And the arrow becomes three nails and a crown of thorns. It's not that God was angry and only Christ could satisfy God's anger. God put on flesh and it was God on the cross taking the arrow for us. That's what love is. Love is this unfathomable selflessness that the world needs more of. At this point in the, the Wesleyan movement, after John Wesley finally gets on dry land and is very thankful that he is there, he starts this Georgian mission. And the Georgian mission wasn't, it didn't begin on a great foot. The Georgian mission eventually failed. And, and one of the reasons why is because he was here to convert the savages, which is a terrible church plant model. Like, could you imagine, like, on the edge, here to convert the savages, welcome, right? This kind of, you know. Uh, bringing hope, building faith, and reaching out in love is much more conducive uh, uh, for bringing people into a sanctuary to learn about God. So it wasn't a successful plan at the beginning. He thought, though, if he just prayed more and fasted more and worshipped more, and that he would finally get it right. But it wasn't working for him. Until one day, 
and those of you steeped in Wesleyanism, one day at Aldersgate Street, on May 24th, 1738, this is what John Wesley wrote. In the evening, I went very unwillingly. How many of you have gone unwillingly to a small group or Bible study? You don't have to raise your hands, but I just love the founder of our faith starts this uh, uh, addition to his diary is, I didn't want to be there, <laughs> but I went. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. His heart was strangely warmed with the revelation that in Christ alone we find our salvation. Of course, Bible studies, covenant groups, being in worship, all of these things matter, but they matter in terms of fruit of our connection with Christ, not the cause of it. In Christ alone, I have found my salvation. In other words, all of these things that we are called to do, they do not earn our salvation for us. It has already been accomplished in the person of Christ. That is the power of the cross. It is already here. God has already accomplished what needs to be accomplished. And we are called to respond well to that grace that is offered. For example, John Wesley in 1744 at, a Methodist, at the Methodist Conference. Uh, this was his notes, and I find this fascinating. I put it on Facebook, and it went relatively unnoticed. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. It just kind of melted away into internet obscurity. Uh, but it's still there. Uh, by the merits of Christ, uh, all men, or all, which is what that means, all are cleared from the guilt of Adam's actual sin. In other words, John Wesley is saying that the cross worked the meritorious acts of Christ accomplished what God wanted it to. That grace has already been bestowed upon you. And in the Methodist church, we call it prevenient grace. Even in the midst of crisis, crisis, even in the midst of storms, even when we falter and trip and screw up, that doesn't change the fact that God loves you. By the, merit, by the merits of Christ, all are cleared from the guilt of Adam's first sin. This is the root of provenient grace. This is in our DNA as Methodists. Another way to put it, uh, and this is from Randy Maddox, who wrote a fantastic, well, I say it's a fan, it's a good book if you're nerdy about this kind of stuff. It's a great book if you want to really dive deep into it. Uh, it's a book called Responsible Grace. He said this, based on what Wesley said in 1744, any present human culpability from our fallen condition results from our rejection of God's offering, restoring work in our lives, not any continuing responsibility from the original sin. In other words, some start from the position that we're worth nothing, that we can do nothing, that we are totally depraved. And Wesley says, well, that means the cross didn't work. 
we start with provenient grace. The knowledge that God loves us, the knowledge that God weathers the storm, puts us in the ark and weathers the storm on the outside. It is God, when the bow is pointed toward the heavens, who takes the arrow. The arrow is pointed at God. Pointed at God for us. Bible study, small groups, mission trips. These are the things that we do to live into the salvation that God has already offered, not the causes of it. We do these things in order to recognize and to share with one another the power and the grace and the love of God. With joy, we are called to respond well to the gift that God has given us. This Aldersgate experience, this heart strangely warmed, is one of the cornerstones of who we are, revealing that Methodists are both people of the head and the heart. We know that by grace through faith we are saved, and we want the world to know it too. So very quickly, I'd love to answer the question of why am I a United Methodist? I'm not a United Methodist because I think it's right and all other denominations are wrong. I mean, of course they're wrong, but I'm kidding, that's a joke. Just check it, just re-engaging here, right? No, of course not. I'm not a United Methodist because I think it's right. It has been my experience of God, and I find it to be beautiful. Because if it's a game of right and wrong, frankly, friends, I think we were all going to be surprised when St. Peter opens the gate. You know what I'm saying? Do you hear that? Can you hear me say that well? We will all be surprised. When we all get to heaven, what a surprise. That's where the hymn should stop. (laughs) That's an old hymn joke. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Kind of feel like I should just end this now and like move on to communion. Save us, Lord, through the broken bread. But I do want to give you, here, here, here here are my top four reasons. I'll just share this with you. Top four reasons of why I'm a United Methodist. Because I love giving you homework. Here's your homework this week. I would love for you to answer the question of why you are a United Methodist. What calls you here? Why do you sit in the pew that you do? Why are you connected? Here, here are mine. Number one, grace. Prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace as the cornerstone of the Christ event of history. Grace. We'll talk about grace in more depth next week. Second is our theological task. Love this. As Wesleyans, as United Methodists, we read Scripture through three different lenses, through the lenses of tradition, reason, and experience. Through tradition, what has the church taught? Through reason, God gave us a brain so we should use it. And experience, how have we experienced these Scriptures in the world? What is the fruit? Number three, the radical center of a Catholic spirit. At least personally for me. I love that John Wesley said, if we are not of one mind, can we be of one heart? Beautiful. And then good fruit. Methodists are busy people, and I'm thankful. Because we have works of piety, works of mercy, works of justice. Works of piety is when we gather, like we're doing right now. This is a work of piety. We are worshiping God. We also have works of mercy, like our food pantry, where we feed those who are hungry. And then works of justice, where we sit and say, why is it, though, that people are hungry? I love that Methodists are never bored. I love that Methodists are never bored. Ah, There's work to be done. 
There's work to be done. At least, let me say this. Faith is trust in God's promises of abundant life. Where there is joy, there is God. Where there is love, there is God. When our heart breaks, God's heart breaks. When there is pain and suffering, we remember that the arrow is pointed toward the heavens and God in flesh took the pain of the cross. Faith is trusting that our final word is spoken with resurrected lips. And yet, our faith can waver. Our faith can change. There's a great song. Where I invite you to come back to the 1045 sermon. We're singing a great song called Shifting Sand by Cademan's Call. My faith is like shifting sand changed by every wave. My faith is like shifting sand so I'll stand on grace. Stand on grace. Our faith can waver. It can change. God knows this, which is why God offers mercy and grace, which is why in our baptismal vows, we have a baptism at the next... You should really come back at 1045. Give me another shot at this. It'll be fine. We have a baptism at the 1045 service, and I love this part of the confession of the baptismal vow. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your trust in his grace? We stand on the firm foundation of grace, recognizing this great gift of faith that God has offered to us. I'll end where I began. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace. That's what John Russell was missing. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand And we boast in our hope. We need to be people who boast in hope for the world. We boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, who wades with us through the storm... Give us the courage to trust in your redemptive power that our failings and missteps will be forgiven and transformed by the power of your grace and that the accidents and the difficulties of life might in your mercy be redeemed. Holy Father, Father of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Have mercy on us. Help us to walk in the way that leads to life. Help us to be in ministry with those who are rejoicing and in ministry with those who are mourning. And God of us all, grant that as we are illuminated by the scriptures, all we ask, Father, is for a heart strangely warmed. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.